Well, thank you for that song this morning, and thank you to all of you for being here to worship our Lord together. It is estimated that 60 million people were slaves in the Roman Empire uh, in the first century. And that uh, comprises approximately half of the, the known population at the time. Uh, slavery was uh, uh, an accepted practice and most were made slaves at some point. Some, in fact, were born into it as a, as a way of life. Some individuals became slaves because of their own indebtedness and a need to uh, pay off debts. And sometimes there were those who were made slaves as punishment for their crimes. As I was uh, preparing for the message, it surprised me to learn that um, many uh, of these slaves were what we would call in our modern day uh, professionals in that they had jobs such as teachers, doctors, managers of estates, in addition to the common laborers of the day. To be sure, uh, the practice of slavery brought about much abuse uh, and suffering uh, in the midst of that culturally accepted practice. Many slaves were uh, abused, many were beaten, many were mutilated, and some were even killed for the, for the most small or minor of infractions. In fact, it is noted that one of the emperors had one of his slaves crucified because he had accidentally killed a pet quail. The view of slavery in that day was that individuals who had that uh, position in life were viewed as property. As one of their philosophers of that day said, a slave was a tool like any other tool that you might use. It's interesting that into that context, the good news of Jesus Christ was being proclaimed to the world for all who believe and trust him as Savior. And that was embraced by multitudes of people in that first century. But the question I think has to be asked when you come to a portion of Scripture like that is before us this morning from Ephesians 6, how does this life-giving and transformation of gospel of Jesus Christ impact this particular relationship. We've already seen that if you're in Jesus Christ, God has given you a new heart and a new spirit. He's made you new. If any man, if any woman be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. He's made you new. And he's in the process of transforming your life. And we've already seen in Ephesians chapter 4 that this new life in Christ transforms our conduct transforms our character, it, it transforms our lifestyle. Uh, and in every relationship as a whole, our lives are transformed. 
Our relationships are transformed by those around us. In chapter 5, we saw that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms the marriage relationship and that it becomes a picture of Christ and the church. We've also seen, as last time, chapter 6, that Jesus Christ governs the parent-child relationship and transforms home life and family life. But the question has to be asked when we come to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, where Paul very, be- very pointedly begins, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. You have to ask yourself the question, how does embracing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord affect even this slave and master relationship? Does it at all? Should it? Well, I think that it needs to be kept in mind that everything in life takes on a new meaning for the believer in Jesus Christ. Not because the world has changed, but because you and I have changed as a result of being followers of Jesus Christ. We have been given a new heart and a new spirit, and we've been given the Holy Spirit who gives us a capacity to live for God and to be pleasing to him. Uh, I'm I'm indebted this morning to James Montgomery Boyce and his commentary on Ephesians, uh, and I'm going to share with you just briefly just a few observations that he makes Because the question sometimes is asked when we come to a portion like this, why didn't the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, uh, outright condemn slavery in his day? I mean, what a perfect opportunity for him to to say that slavery is is morally reprehensible and should be be abandoned as, as a way of life. Well, Boyce makes these observations, and I just share them with you briefly, and he says it more concisely than I could put into words, so bear with me. He, he notes that Paul did not condemn slavery, but neither did he condone it. It's kind of interesting that in the mar- husband and wife relationship, Paul went to great lengths to show you how that relationship reflects Jesus Christ and has been God's order from the very beginning. Then he also, when he talks about the parent-child relationship, takes you back to the commandments in the Old Testament and says, this is how God has ordered the family unit. But when you come to this portion, uh, he's saying nothing, quote, in the passage that affirms slavery as naturally valid or a divinely mandated institution. He's not not saying this is a valid way of approaching life. He is addressing people who find themselves in that context in life. How do you respond as a follower of Christ? In fact, secondly, Boyce points out that, that he is discussing the duties of Christian slaves and the responsibilities of Christian masters. And then he goes on to say, and I, I extrapolate this out from his, his observation, that the gospel of Jesus Christ ultimately brought about a view of humanity uh, and so as caused slavery to come to an end by those who embraced Christ. And, and that's true of a lot of things if you look at how the gospel has transformed society and nations and cultures. Christianity raised the the, the status of women. Christianity and the gospel being embraced has has 
resulted in child labor laws. Uh, Christianity has resulted in hospitals, in orphanages, in the poor being cared for, in, in, in things that are beyond just a humanitarian approach to life, but a God-centered, Christ-focused life that moves people with compassion and the gospel to care for people and to care for needs. And the ultimate outcome of the gospel message was that slavery was, was deemed to be an inappropriate approach to life. And it was the Christians who spearheaded that effort to remove slavery from our culture and hopefully from our world. Do you, you see the difference and the distinction that is there? And so here Paul is addressing in this context the nature, if you would, of Christian work. Christian work. How does the Christian live in the context that he or she finds himself? Uh, and, and, and with that in mind, I would suggest to you, because you and I could read this and say, well, slavery is no longer a part of our culture anymore, so why bother with this passage? Let's just sort of move on. I would suggest to you that the principles that Paul shares here in this context can actually apply to the employee and the employer in our day and in our context. And my friend, if, if Paul is calling a, a, a slave in that first century with no rights at all, with the views that the Roman world had on slavery to live such a way as unto the Lord, how much more so should we in the 21st centuries as followers of Jesus Christ live for him even in the workplace as followers of Christ? A.T. Robertson said that Paul is not afraid of capital, nor is he afraid of labor. And this comes out in this passage. So I'd like for us to consider this morning these verses together, beginning at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, where Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward every one for what good he does, whether he is a slave or free. Verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Well, the first thing that Paul says uh, to the believing um, slaves of his day, those who had embraced Christ, is this. Obey your earthly masters. You know, it's the same word that we find in chapter 6 and verse 1, and I think I mentioned to you last time that that word obey has with it the idea to, to listen attentively and to respond positively to what is being said. Uh, and he says, obey your earthly masters. In essence, those who have authority over you. You could see how this can very easily be understood to be uh, an employer and employee relationship. Somebody who has authority over you in a job setting where you are asked to do a job. You're asked to undertake tasks. You're asked to accomplish some type of purpose. And you're doing it for pay. And notice this. Uh, I think that in that word obey, that there is latent in that this idea of an acknowledgement of authority. 
an acknowledgement of authority. Did you find that in the parent-child relationship? There's an acknowledgement of authority. And even in the household, there's an acknowledgement of authority. And, you know, that's one of the things that just seems to have gone by the wayside even in our culture today. An acknowledgement that there are authorities over us that we are responsible to, to obey. Now, we may not like the authority that is over us. We may think that person is a rascal. They may be a rascal. But that does not give us the right, as believers, to bulk that authority and to say no. And how much more so in the job setting, if you would. In fact, I would suggest to you that when he says for a slave to obey as his master or employee, uh, employee, employee, respect and obey your employer, he's saying, do what's asked of you. Do your job. Do your job. Now, I'm going to use myself as an illustration this morning, and I trust that you don't get weary of it. My experience in the job world, in the real world, sometimes people might say, well, you're a pastor and you only work one, one day a week, <laughs> you know, has been, has been in the grocery store industry. Okay? That's, been my, that's been my experience from high school to my first pastorate to living in Erie. I've, 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 my, my experience, for the most part, has been in the grocery store business. And my first church was in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, which is in central Pennsylvania. And it was a part-time role as pastor, so I needed a job. And so I got a job in a grocery store. And lo and behold, they stuck me in produce because one of the men in produce had broken his ankle and they needed help. I was actually hired to work at on, on a night crew while the store was closed and sort of stocked the shelves. So for two weeks, I was put in the, in the produce department. And my first shift, which was 6 to 10 that night, I show up. I know, I'm, I'm taken to the produce department. And back then, the produce department was in the back. Gary Dukes was my manager. You know, he says, let me show you some things. You know, and so he's walking me around the whole produce department. He takes a watermelon, whacks it in half with a big knife, puts it on the wrapper and says, this is how you cut watermelon, wrap it. Their lettuce in that produce department came unwrapped. So he says, this is how you trim a head of lettuce and how you wrap it. He says, he says I want you to do this and this and this and this. And he gave me a list and he took off his apron and he says, he threw it in the corner and says, hey, you're on your own, see you later. And I was by myself in a produce department. Now, I knew an apple from an orange, but that's about it, you know? And so lo and behold, I mean, I had some grocery store background, so I looked at the list, and I did what was on the list that night. Lo and behold, I heard through the grapevine, one of the other workers the next day, say, Gary really likes you. He says, you did better your first night than some people that have worked here for 10 years. And, and I scratched my head a little bit, and I said, what did I do? I mean, I just did what was on the list. I just did what you asked me to do. And you, as an employee, if you're still working, should be doing what your authority, your boss, asks you to do as part of your job. And you're to do it, as Paul says here, with respect and fear, which means that you respect the authority figure, the role that that person has. And you're to do it, as he says here, with sincerity of heart. 
sincerity of heart. That means an inward, an inward attitude, a, a, a heart attitude. I would suggest to you the word that you're genuine, that, that you're genuine in that. Because notice this, he, he says you're to serve with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Now remember, this is written to believers. And one of the things that I want you to notice, if you haven't picked up on this already, is that in some way, Jesus Christ is mentioned in every verse. So everything is related back to him. Everything is related back to him. And so my question to you and to myself is, in your job, do you show proper respect and also proper conduct on the job? Do you do what is asked of you because you are wanting to serve Christ in that given role? Do you seek to reflect Christ-like conduct? Now notice this, in verse 6 he says, Obey, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. I think what Paul is saying, if I could summarize this, is you are to do your job in such a way that you don't need someone to be checking up on you to make sure you're doing it. Now, fast forward in my job experience, I worked for Wegmans, great company to work for, by the way. The Wegman family still owns it. It's a chain of grocery stores. I understand they're coming south. Well, anyway, I worked at one in Erie. One of the things that used to happen, in, in, since I was in the produce department, and that was their, 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 their prime department, the first one you entered into, um, it was interesting because uh, we used to hear this phrase, company is coming, and company is coming meant that the owners were going to show up. And so you know what they would do? They would make sure that, that the department looked spick and span and perfect. Why? Because when Danny Wegman came up to you, you better be sure that your displays look good especially in the produce department. I want to say this on the side note. Wegmans was a great company, and they were a great family to work for. Danny Wegman was very personable. He was the owner of the company. His father was the owner. He was the CEO or whatever. And I can remember one time, they, they finished their whole tour, and everybody kind of breathes a sigh of relief as this sort of entourage of the, of the owner and all his minions with him leaves the, the door. But lo and behold, Danny Wegman walked uh, out, the, out the front door and I was working in produce and he saw me. You know, and he walked all the way back, probably as far as it is from the, the back doors of the sanctuary to, the, to where I was in produce and come up to me and he says, I didn't get to shake your hand this time. I just wanted to say hello. And I thought, what, what an interesting you know, owner of a company to come and, and, and notice me, just a lowly little produce clerk. You know? But you know, you're to do your job when they're watching you and when you're not. And how many people goof off on the job? Honestly. I was in a store here recently where every single worker in this store, this retail store, was on their phone, looking at their phones. Now, now, now I will grant you, maybe they were getting a text from the manager to show up for a, a staff meeting, okay? But it just seemed odd to me that all of these people were just kind of doing this with their uniforms on. And, and I'm, I'm walking around and it's like, hello, can you tell me where? Something's not right there. 
And notice he says here, you're to obey when they're watching, and you're to do the will of God from the heart. I would suggest to you that when Paul says that you're, to, you're doing your job here, that you're doing it from the heart, that you're doing it by giving it your best. You're doing it not to win their favor, to be men-pleasers uh, in the negative, but you, as the, the New Living translates this, to try to please them all the time. And you know, when your boss doesn't have to check up on you, when he's confident that you're doing what you've been asked to do, you're fulfilling your obligation in your given role, that that indicates a trustworthiness, if you would. That you're trustworthy. I can trust you with this. And did you know that that can actually become a witness for the Lord even to an unbelieving boss? I'd like to have you turn for a moment to Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. Titus chapter 2 and verse 9, because Paul is, is again, dealing with this same relationship here. In Titus 2.9, he says these words. Titus, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way, they may make and will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. They will adorn the gospel of God, says one translation. That the, you make the gospel attractive by being a good worker. Do you, do you see how everything in life relates back to the person and work of Jesus Christ? And I'm doing this not because I just receive a paycheck and not just because it's expected of me. I'm doing this because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And notice this, back to Ephesians chapter 6. He says, verse 7, you're to serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. You're, you're to serve as if you were serving the Lord wholeheartedly with enthusiasm. With enthusiasm. I, I saw this from the first time I stepped into the, the working world in a grocery store in, in my high school years. There are people who just barely show up. I, I, I say that not, not as a criticism, but they barely show up. I can remember working just as, a, as a, 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 a stock clerk, you know, filling grocery stores during the day, you know. Um, I can remember one guy, you know, they were constantly calling for help up front, you know, when it gets busy and you've got to go up and bag. And this guy would just take his good old time coming up to the front, and I'll get there when I get there. And he'll stop, and that's before cell phones, and he'd see his neighbor and start talking. And you'd say, well, where are you? Well, he's on break again. Oh, Really? I thought he already had a break. You know, and, and part, of, part of being a good worker these days, honestly, is just showing up. I, I can't tell you how many times working at Wegmans, even that good company to work for, how many times people called off, just called off, or didn't show up at all. Why? Sad when some of the people that behave that way, claim to be followers of Christ. See, notice that Paul says that, that you're to do your work as if you were serving the Lord, not men. 
Someone has said this, and I think it may be a Tozer quote, the difference between the secular and the sacred is why we do it. Think about that. See, we, we have somehow in our minds compartmentalized to say that, that serving the Lord as a missionary or as a pastor or a Christian teacher or sometimes full-time Christian worker, that that's what's work that's sanctioned by God, but everything else is secular and doesn't matter. That's not a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is everything matters if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Every job can be a means for you to testify of Jesus Christ by how you do your work as unto him. In fact, if you would like a biblical verse for this, and I trust that you do, Colossians 3, a parallel passage of, of Ephesians, Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. So you're a nurse. Serve God and Jesus Christ being the best nurse that you can be in providing the health care that you can give. You're an office worker. You're doing paperwork for your boss. Put your whole heart into it. Do your best as unto the Lord. Because notice what Paul says back in Ephesians. Do this wholeheartedly as you serve, knowing that you're serving Christ and not men. Verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for what he does, whether he is slave or free. One day the Lord is going to reward you for this. And it would suggest to us that when we do our work, the believer has a higher motivation than just a paycheck. I'd like to tell you that my work experience has been pristine and perfect. But I cannot. See, because the Lord did provide me the job with Wegmans. They were a great company to work for. But you know, I came into that role and I had some attitude adjustments to make. See, because I left the pastorate and went back to my hometown and was now working full-time in a grocery store. And so part of it, I think, was chafing under the fact that I'm no longer in full-time ministry. So my attitude for at least part of the time that I was there was, wasn't the best. Now, I got paid very well. Our department did very good. You know, they hired me at working in produce I kid you not, for the first year of working there, I spent 40 hours a week plus, get this, coring pineapples, making fresh orange juice, and putting watermelon cut on an ice table. That's what I did. Sometimes 60 hours a week doing that. And I was miserable. And I'm thinking, what, what am I doing here? So my attitude wasn't the best. And you know, the Lord had to deal with me in those months and years that were there. He had to say to you, your attitude's not right. Now, I worked for a guy named Jerry. I worked for Gary, I worked for Larry, and now I work for Jerry. <laughs> I kid you, I'm not joking. Those were my produce manager's names. 
Now, in time, the, the, the newness of Wegmans wore off of Erie area and sort of things settled down and all the extra helpers they had in all the departments sort of, the dust settled. And uh, so I was sort of slowly removed from making just orange juice and coring pineapples and had to do other things. And at the same time, as I said, the Lord was dealing with me with my heart. So I, I started now had to be required to build the displays, those beautiful displays of produce and things like that. And I, I, I knew enough to do that. So, so I would go and build those displays. And, you know, Jerry, uh, Jerry was watching. And he said, he says, I've noticed something different about you in the way you've been doing your work. He says, you don't seem to be as annoyed as you'd been. And my response to him was, Jerry, and this is what the Lord put on my heart and pressed upon me, Jerry, it's my job to make you look good. And that's what I sought to do. I sought to then put my heart in it with enthusiasm from that time forward. And lo and behold, not because of anything that I did, Jerry became a believer in Jesus Christ. His wife was already a believer, and she was attending, get this, First Alliance Church in Erie. See, when I took that job, I was under contract and under obligation to work Sundays, which meant I couldn't go to church. What do you do? I mean, I couldn't go to church at all. I, I just couldn't go. I had to work every Sunday. That was, that, if you were a full-time employee, that was expected of you. That was required of you. I signed on the dotted line with the contract. I had to work. But lo and behold, Jerry became a believer and started going to church. So one day, I was bold enough to say to him, Jerry, we've got to do something about this working on Sundays. And there's nothing Jerry could do. That was store policy. He couldn't change it for anybody. And I said, look, Jerry, I says, you know, you understand. See, now he's a believer. I says, you understand the importance of going to church. I said, is there some way that we could modify my schedule? I'll come in at 5 in the morning, which is what the first shift started in produce. I'll, I'll work from 5 to, to, say, 9. I'll go to church, and I'll come back and work a split shift, you know? You know? Or, 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 or I'll work the evenings. And I said, maybe you just don't schedule me on Sunday at all. And he said, no, that ain't going to happen. You know? so, from, so, so Jerry, because now he was a believer and understood the importance of being with God's people in worship, said to me, I'm going to schedule you from now on from 1.30 to 10 on Sundays. That will be your shift. So I was able to go to church. I was able to come home and eat a quick lunch. I was able to go to work and fulfill my obligations as a full-time produce clerk at Wegmans. Why? I think it's in part because I was willing to submit myself to the authority over me in that role and be willing to do what was asked of me without complaining and grumbling, knowing that one day I'm going to have to give an account for the Lord for everything that I've done. And I don't know about you, but this is kind of interesting. If you were to take the time to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 5, and then again, Matthew 25, 14 to 30, 
Paul says that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we have to, get, have to give an account for everything that we've done. In the Matthew 25 parable, Jesus talked about talents that, God, that, that the Lord had distributed out, the master had distributed out, and they give an account. And did you notice that the part of the application of after reviewing and giving the job performance for those entrusted with the talents, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in five talents. Be master over five cities. And I wonder... I want you to ponder this with me. I'm not going to give you the answer. But I wonder if our faithfulness in the work that God has called us to in this earthly life will directly determine our place in eternity to come. Now, that doesn't mean we won't be saved. But there are responsibilities, at least hinted at in Scripture, that we are going to have in eternity. And what you do here and now, as Sproul used to say, right now counts for eternity. It does. It does. So believers are to do their best as under the Lord on the job because they have an incentive beyond a paycheck or a bonus. Um, or a gold watch that you're given after 40 years of faithful service. You have a Lord who's going to reward you accordingly. Now, Paul not only deals with the employees, he deals with the employers. You're not off the hook if you're the owner. See, now, I would suggest to you that when he uses the term master, you can easily say whether that it, you are a manager a small business owner, a CEO, the boss, who's ever in charge, whatever authority you have in the given job you have, he's addressing you. And notice what he says here. Only one verse. But you know what? That first phrase speaks volumes when he says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In what way? Well, wait a minute. They're showing you respect, so you show them respect. You expect them to do their job, you should recognize when they do their job. In fact, someone has suggested that, that the, the motivation behind this is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You're, you're, you're the boss, you're the employer, you're the, you're the CEO. You're the guy at the top, the woman at the top. You're the one that owns the business. You're the one that has the employees. You're to treat your workers as you want to be treated. In fact, he even uh, says here uh, that in specifics here in a moment. May it never be said of any of us, whether we are an employee or the employer, my boss is supposed to be a Christian, but you'd never know it. What a sad commentary that is, isn't it? You know, the book of Ruth has this grand character called Boaz. You know, he had workers in his field. And I'm always impressed from a business point of view, if you can call it that, that when Boaz showed up at his field, the workers came to him in chapter 2 and verse 4, and it says 
he said to them, the Lord be with you. And you know what all his workers said back to him? And the Lord be with you. And I would suggest to you that in just a small way, Boaz, that godly man Boaz, represents a godly employer. To the degree that his workers did exactly what he said. Now, he was favoring, but they did what he said. And they liked him. They respected him. They loved him. And he, in like manner, loved them and cared for them. I, I, it doesn't say this in the text, but I am certain that if he cared for a poor woman in Ruth and Naomi and was willing to care for them, how much more did he care for his workers? He cared for them. He took care of them. He was mindful of them. And Paul says here, as a master, as an employer, notice this, do not threaten them. See, it could be very easy when a per person is in a position of authority, particularly in a job situation, to, to sort of threaten, to punish, to punish with holding pay, to, to, to use manipulation or, co or coercion. I'll say it, coercion. I can't say it, sorry. Harassment, intimidation, <laughs> coercion. Forget it. In other words, bosses, don't throw your weight around. Don't hang over your employee's head that phrase that was made famous by somebody we know, you're fired. Some of you will get it. He says, don't threaten them since you know that he, referring to the Lord, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven. See, you might be the owner. You might be the CEO. You might be the top dog. You might be the one who calls all the shots. But you need to understand that there's somebody that's above you that you're going to give an account for. See, owners, bosses, managers, you are accountable to the Lord for your work as well. And you are held to the same standards. Um, notice this. Because he says, uh, here, your master is in heaven as well. So, uh, as an employer, do you demonstrate care towards others? Do you show them, just as Jesus Christ shows you, justice, fairness, Mercy, consistency, genuine concern for the well-being and welfare of others. I, I, I searched in vain last night, but I knew that this was true of a businessman who has since passed on, and you would know the name when I mention it, but that he was a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. You could read about his whole testimony and how I come to know the Lord. J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney was a believer in Jesus Christ. And he sought through his businesses. And you know what? He went up and down, up and down, and lost it, I don't know how many times, financially, and just started over again. You know? He lived to be into his 90s, mid-90s. 
And they said up until the very last, he used to visit his stores. And, and, and sometimes he would even go behind the counter and start working, waiting on, on customers because that was the type of person he was. But I, I couldn't, this is what I was looking for, but I thought I heard it said in connection with J.C. Penney that he was ahead of his time. He so was concerned about the welfare of his workers that he actually had times where they could have extended lunches. He actually built some gyms for his workers to actually go to and exercise to keep them healthy you know, and was concerned about their well-being. And, and, and he, at least in part, tried to model that principle, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he wanted that to be his business model among his workers. And he modeled it for them as the owner of the company. Now, one last phrase and we're done. Paul says here as he ends up at verse 9, oh, by the way, <laughs> By the way, just so you who are bosses, who are owners, who are the CEOs, just be reminded not only that you have a master in heaven, but there is no favoritism with him. You see, God plays no favorites. Doesn't matter what your position might be. Doesn't matter how many people wait on you and attend on you and what authority has been invested in you. You are accountable to God as well. And he doesn't play favorites. There's no special privileges. There's no exemptions for you because you're the boss. You will likewise be held accountable and judged by the Lord according to your work and rewarded or lose out accordingly because God holds every person accountable. So, uh, friends, how do we view our work? Do you do your best as unto the Lord? Do you see your work as serving Jesus Christ as you serve others, whether you provide them a service or a product? Do you serve as unto him? And if you happen to be those who employ others, do you model Christ-like character so that you can be a witness for him as well? Let me just say, if all of us as believers take to heart these instructions from God's word and apply it uh, to our lives in the workplace, we will indeed adorn the gospel and make it attractive as we honor Christ with our lives and with our life's work. May God, by his grace and his spirit, enable us to do so. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the shared time together in your word this morning. I trust, O oh Lord, that you will seal to our hearts this message. Because at some points, O oh Lord, I know that I have uh, drawn out from the text certain principles or applications or thoughts. I would pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us all to be discerning to know how that is to be uh, applied in each of our individual lives and in the context of the work that you call each of us to. And I pray, O oh Lord, that if I have in, in this uh, message said anything that is not in keeping with the greater context of your word, then Lord, would you please correct me and uh, correct our thinking in these matters. But help us, Father, to live our lives in such a way that everything that we, we do Everything that we say, all of life, might be lived for the honor and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Living out the reality of the gospel in our lives and before others. 
And we pray that the result would be that you, Father, would, would be made known, that the gospel would be adorned, and that Jesus Christ would be embraced by others. And Father, we'll give you thanks and praise, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's-